Alma chapter 53. The principal task in controlling a large number of prisoners is to keep them continually occupied with a variety of tasks. And it came to pass that they did set guards over the prisoners of the Lamanites, and did compel them to go forth and bury their dead, yea, and also the dead of the Nephites who were slain. And Moroni placed men over them to guard them while they should perform their labors. This next verse tells us something about the relationship between the two great Nephite generals, Moroni and Lehi. And Moroni went to the city of Mulek with Lehi, and took command of the city, and gave it unto Lehi. Now behold, this Lehi was a man who had been with Moroni in the more part of all his battles. And he was a man like unto Moroni, and they rejoiced in each other's safety. Yea, they were beloved by each other, and also beloved by all the people of Nephi. Moroni's next chore for his prisoners was to turn the city of Bountiful into an impregnable fortress. And it came to pass that after the Lamanites had finished burying their dead and also the dead of the Nephites, they were marched back into the land Bountiful. And Teancum, by the orders of Moroni, caused that they should commence laboring and digging a ditch round about the land or the city Bountiful. And he caused that they should build a breastwork of timbers upon the inner bank of the ditch. And they cast up dirt out of the ditch against the breastwork of timbers. And thus they did cause the Lamanites to labor until they had encircled the city of Bountiful round about with a strong wall of timbers and earth to an exceeding height. And this city became an exceeding stronghold ever after. And in this city they did guard the prisoners of the Lamanites, yea, even within a wall which they had caused them to build with their own hands. Now Moroni was compelled to cause the Lamanites to labor, because it was easy to guard them while at their labor. And he desired all his forces when he should make an attack upon the Lamanites. The two great armies had attained relative balance of power, so that neither one felt it would be to their advantage to launch forth an aggressive military action. Therefore the two armies were at a stalemate during the rest of 64 B.C. And it came to pass that Moroni had thus gained a victory over one of the greatest of the armies of the Lamanites, and had obtained possession of the city of Mulek, which was one of the strongest holds of the Lamanites in the land of Nephi. And thus he had also built a stronghold to retain his prisoners. And it came to pass that he did no more attempt a battle with the Lamanites in that year. But he did employ his men in preparing for war, yea, and in making fortifications to guard against the Lamanites, yea, and also delivering their women and their children from famine and affliction, and providing food for their armies. And now it came to pass that the armies of the Lamanites on the west sea south, while in the absence of Moroni on account of some intrigue amongst the Nephites, which caused dissensions amongst them, had gained some ground over the Nephites, yea, insomuch that they had obtained possession of a number of their cities in that part of the land. Now we learn that the greatest curse of the Nephites was their tendency to engage in continuous quarreling and dissension among themselves. As soon as Captain Moroni left the western front to support Teancum and Lehi, the Nephites on the western front began quarreling, 
As a result, the Lamanites gained an immediate advantage and several major victories. And thus because of iniquity amongst themselves, yea, because of dissensions and intrigue among themselves, they were placed in the most dangerous circumstances. It will be recalled that the Nephites had extended themselves in every possible way to protect the people of Ammon, who had taken an oath never again to shed blood. By this time, however, it was plain to these converted Lamanites that the Nephites were extending themselves to the greatest possible extreme, and thousands of them had lost their lives defending the people of Ammon. Therefore they were sorely tempted to take up the sword again and help defend themselves. These next three verses tell the story. And now behold, I have somewhat to say concerning the people of Ammon, who in the beginning were Lamanites. But by Ammon and his brethren, or rather by the power and word of God, they had been converted unto the Lord. and They had been brought down into the land of Zarahemla, and had ever since been protected by the Nephites. And because of their oath, they had been kept from taking up arms against their brethren. For they had taken an oath that they never would shed blood more, and according to their oath, they would have perished. Yea, they would have suffered themselves to have fallen into the hands of their brethren, had it not been for the pity and the exceeding love which Ammon and his brethren had had for them. And for this cause they were brought down into the land of Zarahemla, and they ever had been protected by the Nephites. But it came to pass that when they saw the danger and the many afflictions and tribulations which the Nephites bore for them, they were moved with compassion and were desirous to take up arms in the defense of their country. It is interesting that it was the persuasion of Helaman, the president of the church, that the people of Ammon were induced to abide by their covenant, and perhaps it was even at his suggestion that an alternative program was adopted. But behold, as they were about to take their weapons of war, they were overpowered by the persuasions of Helaman and his brethren, for they were about to break the oath which they had made. And Helaman feared lest by so doing they should lose their souls. Therefore all those who had entered into this covenant were compelled to behold their brethren wade through their afflictions in their dangerous circumstances at this time. But behold, it came to pass they had many sons who had not entered into a covenant that they would not take their weapons of war to defend themselves against their enemies. Therefore they did assemble themselves together at this time, as many as were able to take up arms, and they called themselves Nephites. And they entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites, yea, to protect the land unto the laying down of their lives. Yea, even they covenanted that they never would give up their liberty, but they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites and themselves from bondage. Now behold, there were two thousand of those young men who entered into this covenant and took their weapons of war to defend their country. These two thousand teenagers were young, husky warriors, but had no experience in warfare whatever. Nevertheless, they were anxious to help and had enthusiastically taken their oath to fight on behalf of the Nephites. And now behold, 
As they never had hitherto been a disadvantage to the Nephites, they became now at this period of time also a great support. For they took their weapons of war, and they would that Helaman should be their leader. And they were all young men, and they were exceedingly valiant for courage, and also for strength and activity. But behold, this was not all. They were men who were true at all times in whatsoever thing they were entrusted. It is highly significant that these 2,000 new recruits would elect the president of the church to be their leader. Perhaps it is even more significant that Helaman would accept the call to military leadership and march at the forefront of this sturdy young corps to engage in hand-to-hand combat. Yea, they were men of truth and soberness, for they had been taught to keep the commandments of God and to walk uprightly before him. Now it came to pass that Helaman did march at the head of his two thousand stripling soldiers, to the support of the people in the borders of the land on the south by the West Sea. And thus ended the twenty and eighth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus ended the year 64 B.C. Alma chapter 54 It was early in the new year that the Lamanites offered to exchange prisoners with Moroni. The problem was how to calculate the exchange. And now it came to pass in the commencement of the twenty and ninth year of the judges that Amoron sent unto Moroni desiring that he would exchange prisoners. And it came to pass that Moroni felt to rejoice exceedingly at this request for he desired the provisions which were imparted for the support of the Lamanite prisoners for the support of his own people. And he also desired his own people for the strengthening of his army. Now the Lamanites had taken many women and children, and there was not a woman nor a child among all the prisoners of Moroni or the prisoners whom Moroni had taken. Therefore Moroni resolved upon a stratagem to obtain as many prisoners of the Nephites from the Lamanites as it were possible. It was typical of Moroni to respond to the Lamanite proposal for an exchange of prisoners by first calling them to repentance and suggesting that they give up this war and return to their own lands. Therefore he wrote an epistle and sent it by the servant of Amoron, the same who had brought an epistle to Moroni. Now these are the words which he wrote unto Amoron, saying, Behold, Amron, I have written unto you somewhat concerning this war which ye have waged against my people, or rather which thy brother hath waged against them, and which ye are still determined to carry on after his death. Behold, I would tell you somewhat concerning the justice of God, and the sword of his almighty wrath, which doth hang over you except ye repent and withdraw your armies into your own lands, or the land of your possessions, which is the land of Nephi. Yea, I would tell you these things, if ye were capable of hearkening unto them. Yea, I would tell you concerning that awful hell that awaits to receive such murders as thou and thy brother have been, except ye repent and withdraw your murderous purposes, and return with your armies to your own lands. 
But as ye have once rejected these things and have fought against the people of the Lord, even so I may expect you will do it again. And now behold, we are prepared to receive you. Yea, and except you withdraw your purposes, behold, ye will pull down the wrath of that God whom you have rejected upon you, even to your utter destruction. But as the Lord liveth, our armies shall come upon you, except ye withdraw and ye shall soon be visited with death, for we will retain our cities and our lands, yea, and we will maintain our religion and the cause of our God. But behold, it supposeth me that I talk to you concerning these things in vain, or it supposeth me that thou art a child of hell. Therefore I will close my epistle by telling you that I will not exchange prisoners save it be on conditions that ye will deliver up a man and his wife and his children for one prisoner. If this be the case, that ye will do it, I will exchange. This was a bold proposal to make the exchange of prisoners conditional by requiring the Lamanites to surrender both a Nephite and his family for each Lamanite prisoner. However, Moroni didn't want to leave any doubt in the minds of the Lamanites as to what would happen if they refused to accept this counter-proposal. And behold, if you do not this, I will come against you with my armies. Yea, even I will arm my women and my children, and I will come against you, and I will follow you even into your own land, which is the land of our first inheritance. Yea, and it shall be blood for blood, yea, life for life. And I will give you battle even until you are destroyed from off the face of the earth. Behold, I am in my anger, and also my people. Ye have sought to murder us, and we have only sought to defend ourselves. But behold, if ye seek to destroy us more, we will seek to destroy you. Yea, and we will seek our land, the land of our first inheritance. Now I close my epistle. I am Moroni. I am a leader of the people of the Nephites. One might have suspected that Amaron would react exactly the way he did. However, his ugly, hate-filled epistle did have some good news in it for Moroni. The scripture says, Now it came to pass that Amaron, when he had received this epistle, was angry. And he wrote another epistle unto Moroni, and these are the words which he wrote, saying, I am Amaron, the king of the Lamanites. I am the brother of Amalickiah, whom ye have murdered. Behold, I will avenge his blood upon you. Yea, and I will come upon you with my armies, for I fear not your threatenings. For behold, your fathers did wrong their brethren, insomuch that they did rob them of their right to the government when it rightly belonged unto them. And now behold, if ye will lay down your arms and subject yourselves to be governed by those to whom the government doth rightly belong, then will I cause that my people shall lay down their weapons and shall be at war no more. Behold, ye have breathed out many threatenings against me and my people, but behold, we fear not your threatenings. Nevertheless, I will grant to exchange prisoners according to your request gladly, that I may preserve my food for my men of war, 
and we will wage a war which shall be eternal, either to the subjecting the Nephites to our authority or to their eternal extinction. And as concerning that God whom ye say we have rejected, behold, we know not such a being, neither do ye. But if it so be that there is such a thing, we know not but that he hath made us as well as you. It is significant that Amaron could not close his letter without including an apostate atheistic diatribe against God. He ends up by saying it doesn't really matter whether there is a God or not. And if it so be that there is a devil and a hell, behold, will he not send you there to dwell with my brother whom ye have murdered, whom ye have hinted that he hath gone to such a place? But behold, these things matter not. I am Amaron, and a descendant of Zoram, whom your fathers pressed and brought out of Jerusalem. And behold, now I am a bold Lamanite. Behold, this war hath been waged to avenge their wrongs, and to maintain and to obtain their rights to the government. And I close my epistle to Moroni. His final note is an attempt to justify this predatory war by the Lamanites who are being led by apostate Nephites. Alma chapter 55 After Moroni had pondered over the insulting letter from Amaron, he developed a completely new approach for the recovery of the Nephite captives which the Lamanites were holding prisoners. Now it came to pass that when Moroni had received this epistle, he was more angry, because he knew that Amaron had a perfect knowledge of his fraud. Yea, he knew that Amaron knew that it was not a just cause that had caused him to wage a war against the people of Nephi. And he said, Behold, I will not exchange prisoners with Amaron, save he will withdraw his purpose, as I have stated in my epistle. For I will not grant unto him that he shall have any more power than what he hath got. Behold, I know the place where the Lamanites do guard my people, whom they have taken prisoners. And as Amaron would not grant unto me mine epistle, behold, I will give unto him according to my words, yea, I will seek death among them until they shall sue for peace. It is clearly evident that Moroni's patience had been completely exhausted by this deadly war, which was being prolonged year after year. Moroni had reached the conclusion that the only way to save the further shedding of blood was to wage an all-out war of death to the enemy until they surrendered. This demonstrates the fact that Moroni had concluded after Amron's letter that there was no hope for peace in any other way. Moroni knew exactly how he would proceed to liberate a large segment of Nephite captives without having to exchange any Lamanite prisoners, which would only add to Amron's strength. Here is an account of how he proceeded. And now it came to pass that when Moroni had said these words, he caused that a search should be made among his men that perhaps he might find a man who was a descendant of Laman among them. And it came to pass that they found one whose name was Laman, and he was one of the servants of the king who was murdered by Amalickiah. Now Moroni caused that Laman and a small number of his men should go forth unto the guards who were over the Nephites. Now the Nephites were guarded in the city of Gid. 
Therefore Moroni appointed Laman, and caused that a small number of men should go with him. Now this was the first step in Moroni's strategy, and he instructed the Lamanites who were Nephite allies on the exact manner in which they should proceed. Here is the story. And when it was evening, Laman went to the guards who were over the Nephites, and behold, they saw him coming, and they hailed him. But he saith unto them, Fear not, behold, I am a Lamanite. Behold, we have escaped from the Nephites, and they sleep. And behold, we have taken of their wine and brought with us. Now when the Lamanites heard these words, they received him with joy. And they said unto him, Give us of your wine, that we may drink. We are glad that ye have thus taken wine with you, for we are weary. But Laman said unto them, Let us keep of our wine till we go against the Nephites to battle. But this saying only made them more desirous to drink of the wine. For, said they, We are weary. Therefore let us take of the wine, and by and by we shall receive wine for our rations, which will strengthen us to go against the Nephites. And Laman said unto them, You may do according to your desires. It is rather amazing how enthusiastically the Lamanite guards responded to Moroni's strategy. Apparently Moroni was waiting in the vicinity, fully prepared to take action the moment it was safe to do so. And it came to pass that they did take of the wine freely, and it was pleasant to their taste. Therefore they took of it more freely, and it was strong, having been prepared in its strength. And it came to pass they did drink and were merry, and by and by they were all drunken. And now when Laman and his men saw that they were all drunken, and were in a deep sleep, they returned to Moroni and told him all the things that had happened. And now this was according to the design of Moroni. And Moroni had prepared his men with weapons of war. And he sent to the city Gid, while the Lamanites were in a deep sleep and drunken, and cast in weapons of war unto the prisoners, insomuch that they were all armed, yea, even to their women and all those of their children, as many as were able to use a weapon of war, when Moroni had armed all those prisoners. And all those things were done in a profound silence. But had they awakened the Lamanites, behold, they were drunken, and the Nephites could have slain them. But behold, this was not the desire of Moroni, he did not delight in murder or bloodshed, but he delighted in the saving of his people from destruction. And for this cause he might not bring upon him injustice, he would not fall upon the Lamanites and destroy them in their drunkenness. But he had obtained his desires, for he had armed those prisoners of the Nephites who were within the wall of the city, and had given them power to gain possession of those parts which were within the walls. And then he caused the men who were with him to withdraw a pace from them and surround the armies of the Lamanites. It was almost unbelievable that Moroni's rather simple stratagem had set up the city of Gid for immediate conquest without the shedding of blood. An illustration of Moroni's ingenious scheme of furnishing arms to the Nephite prisoners will be found on page 104 of volume 3. By this means Moroni captured the city and rescued all of the Nephite prisoners. It was a tremendous victory. Now behold, this was done in the night time, so that when the Lamanites awoke in the morning, 
they beheld that they were surrounded by the Nephites without, and that their prisoners were armed within. And thus they saw that the Nephites had power over them. And in these circumstances they found that it was not expedient that they should fight with the Nephites. Therefore their chief captains demanded their weapons of war, and they brought them forth and cast them at the feet of the Nephites, pleading for mercy. Now behold, this was the desire of Moroni. He took them prisoners of war, and took possession of the city, and caused that all the prisoners should be liberated who were Nephites. And they did join the army of Moroni, and were a great strength to his army. And it came to pass that he did cause the Lamanites, whom he had taken prisoners, that they should commence a labor in strengthening the fortifications round about the city Gid. And it came to pass that when he had fortified the city Gid, according to his desires, he caused that his prisoners should be taken to the city Bountiful. And he also guarded that city with an exceeding strong force. And it came to pass that they did, notwithstanding all the intrigues of the Lamanites, keep and protect all the prisoners whom they had taken, and also maintain all the ground and the advantage which they had retaken. There was nothing more revolting to the Lamanites than to have the Nephites begin to gain ground and increase their strength. They therefore tried to use the same tricks on the Nephites that had worked against them. But their various schemes, including the use of poisoned wine, was a total failure. And it came to pass that the Nephites began again to be victorious and to reclaim their rights and their privileges. Many times did the Lamanites attempt to encircle them about by night, but in these attempts they did lose many prisoners, and many times did they attempt to administer of their wine to the Nephites, that they might destroy them with poison or with drunkenness. But behold, the Nephites were not slow to remember the Lord their God in this their time of affliction. They could not be taken in their snares. Yea, they would not partake of their wine, save they had first given to some of the Lamanite prisoners. And they were thus cautious that no poison should be administered among them. For if their wine would poison a Lamanite, it would also poison a Nephite, and thus they did try all their liquors. It is interesting that Moroni had the Lamanite prisoners serve as tasters of the wine captured from the Lamanites. By this means he prevented any of his own troops from being poisoned by captured wine. And now it came to pass that it was expedient for Moroni to make preparations to attack the city Morianton. For behold, the Lamanites had by their labors fortified the city Morianton until it had become an exceeding stronghold. And they were continually bringing new forces into that city, and also new supplies of provisions. And thus ended the twenty and ninth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. All of these activities had occupied a whole year. Now 63 B.C. came to a close. Alma chapter 56. And now it came to pass in the commencement of the thirtieth year of the reign of the judges on the second day in the first month, Moroni received an epistle from Helaman, stating the affairs of the people in that quarter of the land. It was near the beginning of the year 62 B.C. that Moroni received a letter from Helaman, 
the president of the church who is deeply involved in the military action on the Western Front. Helaman first rehearsed the covenant of the converted Lamanites, who were called anti-Lehi-Nephites, but who were later called the people of Ammon because he headed up the missionaries that converted them. And these are the words which he wrote, saying, My dearly beloved brother Moroni, as well in the Lord as in the tribulations of our warfare, behold, my beloved brother, I have somewhat to tell you concerning our warfare in this part of the land. Behold, two thousand of the sons of those men whom Ammon brought down out of the land of Nephi. Now ye have known that these were descendants of Laman, who was the eldest son of our father Lehi. Now I need not rehearse unto you concerning their traditions or their unbelief, for thou knowest concerning all these things. Therefore it sufficeth me that I tell you that two thousand of these young men have taken their weapons of war, and would that I should be their leader, and we have come forth to defend our country. And now ye also know concerning the covenant which their fathers made, that they would not take up their weapons of war against their brethren to shed blood. Next, Helaman describes how he marched these two thousand teenagers to join the army of Antipas on the western front. But in the twenty and sixth year, when they saw our afflictions and our tribulations for them, they were about to break the covenant which they had made and take up their weapons of war in our defense. But I would not suffer them that they should break this covenant which they had made, supposing that God would strengthen us, insomuch that we should not suffer more because of the fulfilling the oath which they had taken. But behold, here is one thing in which we may have great joy. For behold, in the twenty and sixth year, I, Helaman, did march at the head of these two thousand young men to the city of Judea to assist Antipas, whom ye had appointed a leader over the people of that part of the land. Apparently Antipas was hard-pressed to hold the city of Judea because of the vast number of Lamanites who had the city under attack. Furthermore, they had killed the Nephite prisoners except for chief captains. But Helaman does not explain why the Lamanites spared the lives of the chief captains. He thinks they were hauled off as prisoners to the land of Nephi. And I did join my two thousand sons, for they are worthy to be called sons, to the army of Antipas, in which strength Antipas did rejoice exceedingly, for behold, his army had been reduced by the Lamanites, because their forces had slain a vast number of our men, for which cause we have to mourn. Nevertheless, we may console ourselves in this point, that they have died in the cause of their country and of their God, yea, and they are happy. And the Lamanites had also retained many prisoners, all of whom are chief captains, for none other have they spared alive. And we suppose that they are now at this time in the land of Nephi. It is so if they are not slain. It was so difficult to hold the city of Judea, and Antipas was desperate and thankful to receive the two thousand sons of Helaman. And now these are the cities of which the Lamanites have obtained possession by the shedding of the blood of so many of our valiant men. The land of Manti, or the city of Manti, and the city of Zizram, 
and the city of Cumenai, and the city of Antipara. And these are the cities which they possessed when I arrived at the city of Judea. And I found Antipas and his men toiling with their might to fortify the city. Yea, and they were depressed in body as well as in spirit, for they had fought valiantly by day and toiled by night to maintain their cities. And thus they had suffered great afflictions of every kind. Helaman then describes what an impact it had on the Lamanites when they saw Helaman's young warriors arrive. And now they were determined to conquer in this place or die. Therefore you may well suppose that this little force which I brought with me, yea, those sons of mine, gave them great hopes and much joy. And now it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that Antipas had received a greater strength to his army, they were compelled by the orders of Amoron to not come against the city of Judea or against us to battle. And thus were we favored of the Lord. For had they come upon us in this our weakness, they might have perhaps destroyed our little army, but thus were we preserved. They were commanded by Amoron to maintain those cities which they had taken. And thus ended the twenty and sixth year. And in the commencement of the twenty and seventh year we had prepared our city and ourselves for defense. Now Antipas had the same problem at the city of Judea that Moroni had at the city of Mulek. Neither of them could induce the Lamanites to come out and fight, and these cities were too well fortified to invade them. Antipas was also deeply anxious that they intercept any Lamanite army seeking to capture more cities on the western front. They therefore kept spies scattered throughout the land so they would be aware of any Lamanite excursions to capture other cities. Now we were desirous that the Lamanites should come upon us, for we were not desirous to make an attack upon them in their strongholds. And it came to pass that we kept spies out round about, to watch the movements of the Lamanites, that they might not pass us by night nor by day, to make an attack upon our other cities which were on the northward. For we knew in those cities they were not sufficiently strong to meet them. Therefore we were desirous if they should pass by us to fall upon them in their rear, and thus bring them up in the rear at the same time they were met in the front. We supposed that we could overpower them, but behold, we were disappointed in this our desire. They durst not pass by us with their whole army, neither durst they with a part, lest they should not be sufficiently strong and they should fall. Neither durst they march down against the city of Zarahemla, neither durst they cross the head of Sidon over to the city of Nephiha. And thus with their forces they were determined to maintain those cities which they had taken. But in the second month of 64 B.C., the families of the two thousand sons of Helaman sent a huge supply of provisions, and the people of Zarahemla sent two thousand more men to reinforce the military strength around Judea. This brought the army of Judea up to a total of ten thousand soldiers. Before long, the Lamanites became deeply agitated and wanted to intercept some of these provisions for themselves. The Nephite strategists therefore decided to lure the Lamanites out into the open where they could be attacked. Helaman says his sons were assigned to march toward Antipara, 
as though they were transporting provisions and supplies. And now it came to pass in the second month of this year, there was brought unto us many provisions from the fathers of those my two thousand sons. And also there were sent two thousand men unto us from the land of Zarahemla. And thus we were prepared with ten thousand men, and provisions for them, and also for their wives and their children. And the Lamanites, thus seeing our forces increase daily, and provisions arrive for our support, they began to be fearful, and began to sally forth, if it were possible to put an end to our receiving provisions and strength. Now when we saw that the Lamanites began to grow uneasy on this wise, we were desirous to bring a stratagem into effect upon them. Therefore Antipas ordered that I should march forth with my little sons to a neighboring city, as if we were carrying provisions to a neighboring city. And we were to march near the city of Antipara, as if we were going to the city beyond, in the borders by the seashore. And it came to pass that we did march forth, as if with our provisions to go to that city. And it came to pass that Antipas did march forth with a part of his army, leaving the remainder to maintain the city. But he did not march forth until I had gone forth with my little army and came near the city Antipara. And now in the city Antipara were stationed the strongest army of the Lamanites, yea, the most numerous. And it came to pass that when they had been informed by their spies, they came forth with their army and marched against us. And it came to pass that we did flee before them northward, and thus we did lead away the most powerful army of the Lamanites. The strategy worked, and Helaman and his sons lured out of Antipara one of the largest Lamanite armies on the western front. Yea, even to a considerable distance, insomuch that when they saw the army of Antipas pursuing them with their might, they did not turn to the right nor to the left, but pursued their march in a straight course after us. And, as we suppose, it was their intent to slay us before Antipas should overtake them, and this that they might not be surrounded by our people. Antipas closed in behind the Lamanites, while Helaman and his sons asserted every possible means to stay ahead of the Lamanites without being attacked from the rear. This was the situation when night overtook them, and all three armies were brought to a standstill. And now Antipas, beholding our danger, did speed the march of his army. But behold, it was night. Therefore they did not overtake us, neither did Antipas overtake them. Therefore we did camp for the night. The three armies continued their tandem pursuit of each other until the third day. In verse 42, we read that the huge Lamanite army suddenly stopped pursuing Helaman and his sons. And it came to pass that before the dawn of the morning, behold, the Lamanites were pursuing us. Now we were not sufficiently strong to contend with them. Yea, I would not suffer that my little son should fall into their hands. Therefore we did continue our march, and we took our march into the wilderness. Now they durst not turn to the right nor to the left, lest they should be surrounded. Neither would I turn to the right nor to the left, lest they should overtake me. And we could not stand against them, but be slain. And they would make their escape. And thus we did flee all that day into the wilderness, even until it was dark. 
And it came to pass that again, when the light of the morning came, we saw the Lamanites upon us, and we did flee before them. But it came to pass that they did not pursue us far before they halted. And it was in the morning of the third day of the seventh month. It was concluded that perhaps Antipas had caught up with the Lamanites and were immediately compelled to fight a much larger force in their effort to survive. The big question was whether or not the 2,000 young striplings should go back and prevent Antipas and his smaller army from being slaughtered. In verse 47, we learn that Helaman's young striplings had never participated in actual combat, and yet they told Helaman they wanted to go back and help Antipas and his men before they were wiped out. And now, whether they were overtaken by Antipas, we knew not. But I said unto my men, Behold, we know not, but they have halted for the purpose that we should come against them, that they might catch us in their snare. Therefore what say ye, my sons? Will ye go against them to battle? And now I say unto you, my beloved brother Moroni, that never had I seen so great courage, nay, not amongst all the Nephites. For as I had ever called them my sons, for they were all of them very young. Even so they said unto me, Father, behold, our God is with us, and he will not suffer that we should fall. Then let us go forth. We would not slay our brethren, if they would let us alone. Therefore let us go, lest they should overpower the army of Antipas. Now they never had fought, yet they did not fear death and they did think more upon the liberty of their fathers than they did upon their lives. Yea, they had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. And they rehearsed unto me the words of their mothers, saying, We do not doubt our mothers knew it. It turned out that a furious battle was being fought. Antipas had been killed along with some of the best leaders of the Nephites, by the time Helaman and his sons arrived on the scene, they saw that the Nephites were preparing to flee in wild disarray. And it came to pass that I did return with my two thousand against these Lamanites who had pursued us. And now behold, the armies of Antipas had overtaken them, and a terrible battle had commenced. The army of Antipas, being weary because of their long march in so short a space of time, were about to fall into the hands of the Lamanites, and had I not returned with my two thousand, they would have obtained their purpose, for Antipas had fallen by the sword and many of his leaders because of their weariness, which was occasioned by the speed of their march. Therefore the men of Antipas, being confused because of the fall of their leaders, began to give way before the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Lamanites took courage and began to pursue them, and thus were the Lamanites pursuing them with great vigor when Helaman came upon their rear with his two thousand and began to slay them exceedingly, insomuch that the whole army of the Lamanites halted and turned upon Helaman. Now when the people of Antipas saw that the Lamanites had turned them about, they gathered together their men and came again upon the rear of the Lamanites. And now it came to pass that we, the people of Nephi, the people of Antipas, and I with my two thousand did surround the Lamanites and did slay them. 
yea, insomuch that they were compelled to deliver up their weapons of war, and also themselves as prisoners of war. It was amazing that when the sons of Helaman attacked the Lamanites from the rear, it allowed the army of Antipas to turn around, regroup, and attack from the other side. Soon the Lamanites were overwhelmed, and they surrendered. And now it came to pass that when they had surrendered themselves up unto us, behold, I numbered those young men who had fought with me, fearing lest there were many of them slain. But behold, to my great joy, there had not one soul of them fallen to the earth. Yea, and they had fought as if with the strength of God. Yea, never were men known to have fought with such miraculous strength, and with such mighty power did they fall upon the Lamanites that they did frighten them. And for this cause did the Lamanites deliver themselves up as prisoners of war. It turned out that the fury of the young sons of Helaman was the most significant factor in overwhelming the determination of the Lamanites to continue fighting. And as we had no place for our prisoners that we could guard them to keep them from the armies of the Lamanites, therefore we sent them to the land of Zarahemla, and a part of those men who were not slain of Antipas with them. And the remainder I took and joined them to my stripling Ammonites, and took our march back to the city of Judea. The Lamanite captives were so numerous that it was decided to send part of the survivors of the army of Antipas to Zarahemla with the prisoners, while the remainder of the army of Antipas and the sons of Helaman would proceed back to the city of Judea. Alma chapter 57 In this chapter, Helaman continues his report to Moroni. Now it came to pass that I received an epistle from Amoron the king, stating that if I would deliver up those prisoners of war whom we had taken, that he would deliver up the city of Antipara unto us. Helaman received an epistle from Amoron, the Lamanite king, offering to surrender the city of Antipara to the Nephites if they would return the large contingent of prisoners that were being transported to Zarahemla. The proposal was made to Helaman because now that Antipas had been slain, Helaman took over the leadership on the western front. He refused to return the prisoners to Amaron, but said the Nephite forces were sufficient to take Antipara by direct assault. This threat was sufficient to send the Lamanite occupants of Antipara in a wild scramble to get out of the city before the attack occurred. Thus the city of Antipara fell into the hands of the Nephites without the shedding of blood. All of these events occurred in the year 64 B.C. But I sent an epistle unto the king that we were sure our forces were sufficient to take the city of Antipara by our force. And by delivering up the prisoners for that city, we should suppose ourselves unwise, and that we would only deliver up our prisoners on exchange. And Amron refused mine epistle, for he would not exchange prisoners. Therefore we began to make preparations to go against the city of Antipara. But the people of Antipara did leave the city and fled to their other cities, which they had possession of, to fortify them. And thus the city of Antipara fell into our hands. 
Early in 63 B.C., Helaman said he received a large supply of provisions and also additional troops to add to his army. This gave Helaman about 6,000 men. And the brothers of Helaman's sons had eagerly headed for the Western Front as soon as they were old enough to fight. This increased Helaman's sons by 60 additional young stalwarts. And thus ended the twenty and eighth year of the reign of the judges. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the twenty and ninth year, we received a supply of provisions and also an addition to our army from the land of Zarahemla, and from the land round about to the number of six thousand men, besides sixty of the sons of the Ammonites who had come to join their brethren, my little band of two thousand. Now behold, we were strong, yea, and we had also a plenty of provisions brought unto us. With this additional strength, Helaman and the other Nephite leaders felt they could liberate the city of Cumani. These next few verses outline the strategy they used. And it came to pass that it was our desire to wage a battle with the army which was placed to protect the city, Cumani. And now behold, I will show unto you that we soon accomplished our desire. Yea, with our strong force, or with a part of our strong force, we did surround by night the city Cumini, a little before they were to receive a supply of provisions. And it came to pass that we did camp round about the city for many nights, but we did sleep upon our swords, and keep guards that the Lamanites could not come upon us by night and slay us, which they attempted many times. But as many times as they attempted this, their blood was spilt. At length their provisions did arrive, and they were about to enter the city by night. And we, instead of being Lamanites, were Nephites, therefore we did take them and their provisions. And notwithstanding the Lamanites being cut off from their support after this manner, they were still determined to maintain the city. Therefore it became expedient that we should take those provisions and send them to Judea, and our prisoners to the land of Zarahemla. And it came to pass that not many days had passed away before the Lamanites began to lose all hopes of succor. Therefore they yielded up the city unto our hands, and thus we had accomplished our designs in obtaining the city Cumini. The success of the Nephites at this point created a new problem. That was the task of being overwhelmed with a tremendous number of prisoners. Of course, if the prisoners attacked their guards, they could be slain, but this was something the Nephites were anxious to avoid. It was decided, therefore, to send a huge body of prisoners to Zarahemla, where they could be put to work fortifying the cities in that region. A goodly number of Nephite soldiers were sent to guard the prisoners en route to Zarahemla, all of this is described in the next four verses. But it came to pass that our prisoners were so numerous that notwithstanding the enormity of our numbers, we were obliged to employ all our force to keep them or to put them to death. For behold, they would break out in great numbers and would fight with stones and with clubs or whatsoever thing they could get into their hands, insomuch that we did slay upwards of two thousand of them after they had surrendered themselves prisoners of war. Therefore it became expedient for us that we should put an end to their lives 
or guard them sword in hand down to the land of Zarahemla. And also our provisions were not any more than sufficient for our own people, notwithstanding that which we had taken from the Lamanites. And now in those critical circumstances it became a very serious matter to determine concerning these prisoners of war. Nevertheless, we did resolve to send them down to the land of Zarahemla. Therefore we selected a part of our men and gave them charge over our prisoners to go down to the land of Zarahemla. The next day the soldiers returned without the prisoners they were supposed to be taking to Zarahemla. They said they abandoned their prisoners when they heard that Amaron had sent a large force of Lamanites to attack the Nephites at Cumani, and therefore they felt they should return to provide extra strength. But it came to pass that on the morrow they did return. And now, behold, we did not inquire of them concerning the prisoners, for, behold, the Lamanites were upon us, and they returned in season to save us from falling into their hands. For, behold, Amaron had sent to their support a new supply of provisions and also a numerous army of men. And it came to pass that those men whom we sent with the prisoners did arrive in season to check them, as they were about to overpower us until the new army of Amaron suddenly arrived, the Nephites had felt quite secure, but now they and the sons of Helam were fighting for their very lives. In his letter to Moroni, Helaman describes the fierce fighting by the young sons of Helaman. But behold, my little band of two thousand and sixty fought most desperately. Yea, they were firm before the Lamanites, and did administer death unto all those who opposed them. And as the remainder of our army were about to give way before the Lamanites, behold, those two thousand and sixty were firm and undaunted. Yea, and they did obey and observe to perform every word of command with exactness. Yea, and even according to their faith it was done unto them. And I did remember the words which they said unto me that their mothers had taught them. And now, behold, it was these my sons, and those men who had been selected to convey the prisoners, to whom we owe this great victory, for it was they who did beat the Lamanites. Therefore they were driven back to the city of Manti. Of course, the greatest anxiety for Helaman was for his valiant Lamanite sons. This kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat is devastating, and the ground was strewn with the dead and the seriously wounded. In this part of his letter, Helaman tells an amazing story. And we retained our city, Cumini, and were not all destroyed by the sword. Nevertheless, we had suffered great loss. And it came to pass that after the Lamanites had fled, I immediately gave orders that my men who had been wounded should be taken from among the dead and caused that their wounds should be dressed. And it came to pass that there were two hundred out of my two thousand and sixty, who had fainted because of the loss of blood. Nevertheless, according to the goodness of God and to our great astonishment, and also the joys of our whole army, there was not one soul of them who did perish. Yea, and neither was there one soul among them who had not received many wounds. And now their preservation was astonishing to our whole army. Yea, that they should be spared while there was a thousand of our brethren who were slain. 
and we do justly ascribe it to the miraculous power of God, because of their exceeding faith in that which they had been taught to believe, that there was a just God, and whosoever did not doubt that they should be preserved by his marvelous power. Now this was the faith of these of whom I have spoken. They are young, and their minds are firm, and they do put their trust in God continually. At the first opportunity, Helaman wanted to find out what had happened to the large contingent of prisoners that were being sent to Zarahemla, and why the army had abandoned them and suddenly returned to Cumani to help out in the nick of time. Here is what Helaman was told. And now it came to pass that after we had thus taken care of our wounded men, and had buried our dead, and also the dead of the Lamanites, who were many, behold, we did inquire of Gid concerning the prisoners whom they had started to go down to the land of Zarahemla with. Now Gid was the chief captain over the band who was appointed to guard them down to the land. And now these are the words which Gid said unto me, Behold, we did start to go down to the land of Zarahemla with our prisoners. And it came to pass that we did meet the spies of our armies who had been sent out to watch the camp of the Lamanites. And they cried unto us, saying, Behold, the armies of the Lamanites are marching towards the city of Cumini, and behold, they will fall upon them, yea, and will destroy our people. And it came to pass that our prisoners did hear their cries which caused them to take courage, and they did rise up in rebellion against us. Although the prisoners were not armed, they were so numerous that it was impossible to control the rebellion. Gid and his soldiers were therefore compelled to take the most extreme measure to save their lives. And it came to pass, because of their rebellion, we did cause that our swords should come upon them. And it came to pass that they did in a body run upon our swords, in the which the greater number of them were slain. And the remainder of them broke through and fled from us. And behold, when they had fled and we could not overtake them, we took our march with speed towards the city Cumini. And behold, we did arrive in time that we might assist our brethren in preserving the city. And behold, we are again delivered out of the hands of our enemies. And blessed is the name of our God. For behold, it is he that has delivered us, yea, that has done this great thing for us. Helaman and all the survivors among the Nephites realized that they had escaped Amaron's planned massacre at the sacrifice of many lives, and they had gained their victory by the very narrowest of margins. Helaman says he thanked God for preserving them. Now it came to pass that when I, Helaman, had heard these words of Gid, I was filled with exceeding joy because of the goodness of God in preserving us, that we might not all perish. Yea, and I trust that the souls of them who have been slain have entered into the rest of their God. Alma chapter 58 Now Helaman is coming to the conclusion of his epistle. In this segment of his letter, Helaman discloses his fear that the leaders in Zarahemla might have discontinued providing support for the armies in the field. He says it first became apparent when Helaman appealed for help so his armies could liberate the city of Manti. 
It was one of the strongest Lamanite cities, and Helaman needed help. And behold, now it came to pass that our next object was to obtain the city of Manti. But behold, there was no way that we could lead them out of the city by our small bands. For behold, they remembered that which we had hitherto done. Therefore, we could not decoy them away from their strongholds. And they were so much more numerous than was our army that we durst not go forth and attack them in their strongholds. Yea, and it became expedient that we should employ our men to the maintaining those parts of the land which we had regained of our possessions. Therefore it became expedient that we should wait, that we might receive more strength from the land of Zarahemla, and also a new supply of provisions. And it came to pass that I thus did send an embassy to the governor of our land, to acquaint him concerning the affairs of our people. And it came to pass that we did wait to receive provisions and strength from the land of Zarahemla. But behold, this did profit us but little, for the Lamanites were also receiving great strength from day to day, and also many provisions. And thus were our circumstances at this period of time. And the Lamanites were sallying forth against us from time to time, resolving by stratagem to destroy us. Nevertheless, we could not come to battle with them because of their retreats and their strongholds. And it came to pass that we did wait in these difficult circumstances for the space of many months, even until we were about to perish for the want of food. At the last moment, Helaman's troops surrounding the city of Manti did receive some food and two thousand troops as reinforcements, but thereafter Helaman was greatly puzzled by the fact that they received no further help or any communication as to why all support from Zarahemla had ceased. But it came to pass that we did receive food, which was guarded to us by an army of two thousand men to our assistance. And this is all the assistance which we did receive to defend ourselves and our country from falling into the hands of our enemies yea, to contend with an enemy which was innumerable. And now the cause of these our embarrassments, or the cause why they did not send more strength unto us, we knew not. Therefore we were grieved, and also filled with fear, lest by any means the judgments of God should come upon our land, to our overthrow and utter destruction. Therefore we did pour out our souls in prayer to God, that he would strengthen us, and deliver us out of the hands of our enemies. Yea, and also give us strength, that we might retain our cities and our lands and our possessions for the support of our people. Helam was still head of the church as well as a commanding general, and when he appealed to the Lord, he was assured that they would eventually succeed. With this encouragement, Helaman moved his army up along the wilderness side of the city of Manti. Yea, and it came to pass that the Lord our God did visit us with assurances that he would deliver us. Yea, insomuch that he did speak peace to our souls, and did grant unto us great faith, and did cause us that we should hope for our deliverance in him. And we did take courage with our small force which we had received, and were fixed with a determination to conquer our enemies, and to maintain our lands and our possessions, and our wives, and our children, and the cause of our liberty. And thus we did go forth with all our might against the Lamanites, 
who were in the city of Mantai. And we did pitch our tents by the wilderness side, which was near to the city. The Lamanites greatly outnumbered the Nephites, and as it turned out, it was the smallest of the number of the Nephites which lured the Lamanites to venture out of the city for a direct attack on the Nephites. And it came to pass that on the morrow, when the Lamanites saw that we were in the borders by the wilderness which was near the city, that they sent out their spies round about us, that they might discover the number and the strength of our army. And it came to pass that when they saw that we were not strong according to our numbers, and fearing that we should cut them off from their support except they should come out to battle against us and kill us, and also supposing that they could easily destroy us with their numerous hosts, therefore they began to make preparations to come out against us to battle. And when we saw that they were making preparations to come out against us, Behold, I caused that Gid with a small number of men should secrete himself in the wilderness, and also that Teomner and a small number of men should secrete themselves also in the wilderness. Now Gid and his men were on the right and the others on the left, and when they had thus secreted themselves, behold, I remained with the remainder of my army in that same place where we had first pitched our tents against the time that the Lamanites should come out to battle. Had not the Lord assured Helaman that he would be blessed with a victory, it is doubtful that the Nephites would have dared to risk this open exposure of their army to a Lamanite assault. Nevertheless, at this point it was apparent that the smallest of their number was the decoy that lured the Lamanites out of the city. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did come out with their numerous army against us. And when they had come and were about to fall upon us with a sword, I caused that my men, those who were with me, should retreat into the wilderness. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did follow after us with great speed, for they were exceedingly desirous to overtake us, that they might slay us. Therefore they did follow us into the wilderness. And we did pass by in the midst of Gid and Teomner, insomuch that they were not discovered by the Lamanites. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites had passed by, or when the army had passed by, Gid and Teomna did rise up from their secret places, and did cut off the spies of the Lamanites, that they should not return to the city. And it came to pass that when they had cut them off, they ran to the city and fell upon the guards who were left to guard the city, insomuch that they did destroy them, and did take possession of the city. It was a long time before the Lamanite leaders recognized that they might have made a great mistake. They therefore panicked and tried to follow their tracks back toward Manti. Now this was done because the Lamanites did suffer their whole army, save a few guards only, to be led away into the wilderness. And it came to pass that Gid and Teomner by this means had obtained possession of their strongholds. And it came to pass that we took our course after having traveled much in the wilderness, towards the land of Zarahemla. And when the Lamanites saw that they were marching towards the land of Zarahemla, they were exceedingly afraid, lest there was a plan laid to lead them on to destruction. Therefore they began to retreat into the wilderness again, yea, even back by the same way which they had come. When night time caught up with them, they were so weary they made camp and assumed the Nephites would do the same. However, the Lamanites were barely settled down when Helaman awakened his Nephite army, and they took a forced march to get ahead of the Lamanites 
so the following day they could reach the city of Manti before the Lamanites. And behold, it was night, and they did pitch their tents. For the chief captains of the Lamanites had supposed that the Nephites were weary because of their march. And supposing that they had driven their whole army, therefore they took no thought concerning the city of Manti. Now it came to pass that when it was night, I caused that my men should not sleep, but that they should march forward by another way towards the land of Manti. And because of this our march in the night time, behold, on the morrow we were beyond the Lamanites, insomuch that we did arrive before them at the city of Manti. And thus it came to pass that by this stratagem we did take possession of the city of Manti without the shedding of blood. The shock of the Lamanites when they discovered that their city of Manti had been captured and fully occupied by the Nephites sent them scrambling into the wilderness. And it came to pass that when the armies of the Lamanites did arrive near the city and saw that we were prepared to meet them, they were astonished exceedingly and struck with great fear, insomuch that they did flee into the wilderness. Yea, and it came to pass that the armies of the Lamanites did flee out of all this quarter of the land. But behold, they have carried with them many women and children out of the land. And those cities which had been taken by the Lamanites, all of them are at this period of time in our possession. And our fathers and our women and our children are returning to their homes, all save it be those who have been taken prisoners and carried off by the Lamanites. But now Helaman makes a desperate plea to Moroni. It is obvious that Helaman feels that they have been deserted by the central government in Zarahemla. But behold, our armies are small to maintain so great a number of cities and so great possessions. But behold, we trust in our God who has given us victory over those lands, insomuch that we have obtained those cities and those lands which were our own. Now we do not know the cause that the government does not grant unto us more strength. Neither do those men who came up unto us know why we have not received greater strength. Behold, we do not know but what ye are unsuccessful, and ye have drawn away the forces into that quarter of the land. If so, we do not desire to murmur. And if it is not so, behold, we fear that there is some faction in the government that they do not send more men to our assistance. For we know that they are more numerous than that which they have sent. But behold, it mattereth not. We trust God will deliver us, notwithstanding the weakness of our armies, yea, and deliver us out of the hands of our enemies. It has been a desperate year of warfare, and 62 B.C. is rapidly drawing to a close. Somehow Helaman feels the Lord will deliver them, but he does not see how it will be possible. Meanwhile, he says his valiant sons have become magnificent. They have been severely wounded, but not one of them has been killed. They trust the prophecies that eventually they will triumph, and thus Helaman closes his epistle. Behold, this is the twenty and ninth year in the latter end. And we are in the possession of our lands, and the Lamanites have fled to the land of Nephi. And those sons of the people of Ammon, of whom I have so highly spoken, are with me in the city of Manti. And the Lord has supported them, yea, and kept them from falling by the sword, insomuch that even one soul has not been slain. But behold, they have received many wounds. 
Nevertheless, they stand fast in that liberty wherewith God has made them free. And they are strict to remember the Lord their God from day to day. Yea, they do observe to keep his statutes and his judgments and his commandments continually. And their faith is strong in the prophecies concerning that which is to come. And now, my beloved brother Moroni, may the Lord our God, who has redeemed us and made us free, keep you continually in his presence. Yea, and may he favor this people, even that ye may have success in obtaining the possession of all that which the Lamanites have taken from us, which was for our support. Now behold, I close mine epistle. I am Helaman, the son of Alma. Alma chapter 59. This chapter is a letter from Moroni, but it is not a reply to Helaman's letter. Instead, it is a very angry letter to the chief judge Pehoran in Zarahemla. Moroni was excited over the success of Helaman on the western front, but very angry that the authorities in Zarahemla were not giving Helaman more support. It is interesting that in spite of this angry letter to Pehoran, he spread the good news in his own vicinity concerning the sensational success of Helaman and also his 2,060 sons, not one of whom had been killed. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, after Moroni had received and had read Helaman's epistle, he was exceedingly rejoiced because of the welfare, yea, the exceeding success which Helaman had had in obtaining those lands which were lost. Yea, and he did make it known unto all his people, in all the land round about in that part where he was, that they might rejoice also. After writing his angry letter to Pehorn, Moroni was so inspired by the miraculous success of the president of the church on the western front that Moroni resolved to begin liberating more cities on the eastern front. And it came to pass that he immediately sent an epistle to Pehorn, desiring that he should cause men to be gathered together to strengthen Helaman, or the armies of Helaman, insomuch that he might with ease maintain that part of the land which he had been so miraculously prospered in regaining. And it came to pass, when Moroni had sent this epistle to the land of Zarahemla, he began again to lay a plan that he might obtain the remainder of those possessions and cities which the Lamanites had taken from them. And it came to pass that while Moroni was thus making preparations to go against the Lamanites to battle, behold, the people of Nephiha, who were gathered together from the city of Moroni and the city of Lehi and the city of Morianton, were attacked by the Lamanites. It is interesting that many of the Lamanites who had fled from Manti and the Nephite armies of Helaman had crossed the Sidon River and joined the Lamanites on the east side of the river to attack the Nephites who occupied Nephiha. Yea, even those who had been compelled to flee from the land of Manti and from the land round about had come over and joined the Lamanites in this part of the land, and thus being exceeding numerous, yea, and receiving strength from day to day. By the command of Amoron they came forth against the people of Nephiha, and they did begin to slay them with an exceeding great slaughter. And their armies were so numerous that the remainder of the people of Nephiha were obliged to flee before them, 
and they came even and joined the army of Moroni. At this point, Moroni made a judgment call in which he assumed that because of the strong defenses of Nephi, the Nephites would be able to hold the city against the massive Lamanite attack. It was not long before he realized he had made a mistake. And now, as Moroni had supposed that there should be men sent to the city Nephi, to the assistance of the people to maintain that city, and knowing that it was easier to keep the city from falling into the hands of the Lamanites than to retake it from them, he supposed that they would easily maintain that city. Therefore he retained all his force to maintain those places which he had recovered. When Moroni learned of the loss of Nephi, he met with his chief captains to see why they thought the Nephites had lost this crucial battle at Nephi. They came to a rather alarming conclusion. And now when Moroni saw that the city of Nephi was lost, he was exceeding sorrowful and began to doubt because of the wickedness of the people, whether they should not fall into the hands of their brethren. Now this was the case with all his chief captains. They doubted and marveled also because of the wickedness of the people, and this because of the success of the Lamanites over them. And it came to pass that Moroni was angry with the government because of their indifference concerning the freedom of their country. Alma chapter 60 Without waiting any longer for a reply from Pehoran, the chief judge, Moroni decided to write another letter to Pehoran, and this one was a real scorcher. This letter was based on suppositions rising out of the very desperate circumstances under which both Moroni and Helaman were trying to prevent the Nephite cause from collapsing and prevent the Lamanites from ravaging the whole country. And it came to pass that he wrote again to the governor of the land, who was Pehoran. And these are the words which he wrote, saying, Behold, I direct mine epistle to Pehoran in the city of Zarahemla, who is the chief judge and the governor over the land, and also to all those who have been chosen by this people to govern and manage the affairs of this war. It is interesting that Moroni addressed his letter not only to Pehoran, but to all of the political leaders who had charge of the country's affairs. For behold, I have somewhat to say unto them by the way of condemnation. For behold, ye yourselves know that ye have been appointed to gather together men, and arm them with swords and with scimitars, and all manner of weapons of war of every kind, and send forth against the Lamanites, in whatsoever parts they should come into our land. Moroni did not hesitate to let these leaders know that he condemned them for failing to fulfill their obligations to support the armies that were defending their freedom and very existence as a nation. And now behold, I say unto you that myself and also my men and also Helaman and his men have suffered exceeding great sufferings, yea, even hunger, thirst, and fatigue, and all manner of afflictions of every kind. But behold, were this all we had suffered, we would not murmur nor complain. But behold, great has been the slaughter among our people. Yea, thousands have fallen by the sword, while it might have otherwise been if ye had rendered unto our armies sufficient strength and succor for them. Yea, great has been your neglect towards us. 
Moroni now levels the sharpest possible barbs at these political leaders. He says they have neglected their duty and subjected the soldiers in the field to be slaughtered by the thousands because the central government neglected them. Now behold, we desire to know the cause of this exceeding great neglect. Yea, we desire to know the cause of your thoughtless state. Can you think to sit upon your thrones in a state of thoughtless stupor, while your enemies are spreading the work of death around you? Yea, while they are murdering thousands of your brethren, yea, even they who have looked up to you for protection, yea, have placed you in a situation that ye might have succored them, yea, ye might have sent armies unto them to have strengthened them, and have saved thousands of them from falling by the sword. It is plain from these verses that Moroni is assuming the very worst scenario against these leaders. He is accusing them of laziness, breach of duty, and causing the death of thousands of their countrymen who are trying to fight the Lamanites. But behold, this is not all. Ye have withheld your provisions from them, insomuch that many have fought and bled out their lives because of their great desires which they had for the welfare of this people. Yea, and this they have done when they were about to perish with hunger, because of your exceeding great neglect towards them. And now, my beloved brethren, for ye ought to be beloved, yea, and ye ought to have stirred yourselves more diligently for the welfare and the freedom of this people. But behold, ye have neglected them, insomuch that the blood of thousands shall come upon your heads for vengeance. Yea, for known unto God were all their cries and all their sufferings. Behold, could ye suppose that ye could sit upon your thrones, and because of the exceeding goodness of God ye could do nothing, and he would deliver you? Behold, if ye have supposed this, ye have supposed in vain. In these three verses, Moroni has specified the worst offenses political leaders could commit against the Nephite people. The worst accusation of all was the charge that they were just sitting on their thrones and expecting God to save the people without any striving or diligence on their part. Do ye suppose that because so many of your brethren have been killed, it is because of their wickedness? I say unto you, if ye have supposed this, ye have supposed in vain. For I say unto you, there are many who have fallen by the sword, and behold, it is to your condemnation. For the Lord suffereth the righteous to be slain, that his justice and judgment may come upon the wicked. Therefore ye need not suppose that the righteous are lost because they are slain. But behold, they do enter into the rest of the Lord their God. Now behold, I say unto you, I fear exceedingly that the judgments of God will come upon this people because of their exceeding slothfulness yea, even the slothfulness of our government, and their exceeding great neglect towards their brethren, yea, towards those who have been slain. For were it not for the wickedness which first commenced at our head, we could have withstood our enemies, that they could have gained no power over us. Moroni's anger is mounting with every paragraph. He says the judgments of God will come down upon the heads of the people of Zarahemla because of their slothfulness and failing to support the armies in the field. Now Moroni touches on a very bitter memory concerning the kingmen 
who had to be threatened with death before they would help in defense of the men, women, and children who were being slaughtered by the Lamanites. Yea, had it not been for the war which broke out among ourselves, yea, were it not for these kingmen who caused so much bloodshed among ourselves, yea, at the time we were contending among ourselves, if we had united our strength as we hitherto have done, Yea, had it not been for the desire of power and authority which those kingmen had over us, had they been true to the cause of our freedom, and united with us, and gone forth against our enemies, instead of taking up their swords against us, which was the cause of so much bloodshed among ourselves, yea, if we had gone forth against them in the strength of the Lord, we should have dispersed our enemies, for it would have been done according to the fulfilling of his word. Now Moroni allows a suspicion to creep into his letter, indicating that those who are running the country may have turned traitors and joined those who wanted to take over the country and govern it under a king. But behold, now the Lamanites are coming upon us, taking possession of our lands, and they are murdering our people with a sword. Yea, our women and our children, and also carrying them away captive, causing them that they should suffer all manner of afflictions, and this because of the great wickedness of those who are seeking for power and authority, yea, even those kingmen. But why should I say much concerning this matter? For we know not but what ye yourselves are seeking for authority. We know not but what ye are also traitors to your country. Or is it that ye have neglected us because ye are in the heart of our country, and ye are surrounded by security, that ye do not cause food to be sent unto us, and also men to strengthen our armies? Moroni now decides to tell these wicked government officials how bitter and painful the judgments of God will be. He will pour out his judgments against them for sitting around in idleness, when they should have been supporting their suffering brethren on the field of battle. Have ye forgotten the commandments of the Lord your God? Yea, have ye forgotten the captivity of our fathers? Have ye forgotten the many times we have been delivered out of the hands of our enemies? Or do ye suppose that the Lord will still deliver us while we sit upon our thrones and do not make use of the means which the Lord has provided for us? Yea, will ye sit in idleness, while ye are surrounded with thousands of those, yea, and tens of thousands who do also sit in idleness, while there are thousands round about in the borders of the land who are falling by the sword, yea, wounded and bleeding? Finally, Moroni is ready to challenge these political leaders with a deadly threat. He demands a complete change in their behavior not just repentance for their past derelictions, but an effort to redeem themselves by taking a valiant stand to support the armies in the field and perform their duties to both God and country. Do ye suppose that God will look upon you as guiltless while ye sit still and behold these things? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Now I would that ye should remember that God has said that the inward vessel shall be cleansed first, and then shall the outer vessel be cleansed also. And now except ye do repent of that which ye have done, and begin to be up and doing, and send forth food and men unto us, and also unto Helaman, 
that he may support those parts of our country which he has regained, and that we may also recover the remainder of our possessions in these parts. Behold, it will be expedient that we contend no more with the Lamanites until we have first cleansed our inward vessel, yea, even the great head of our government. Beginning with verse 25, Moroni makes it very clear what he has decided to do if this change does not immediately take place. He will come up against them and destroy them until they and their kind are totally extinct. And accept ye grant mine epistle, and come out and show unto me a true spirit of freedom, and strive to strengthen and fortify our armies, and grant unto them food for their support, Behold, I will leave a part of my free men to maintain this part of our land, and I will leave the strength and the blessings of God upon them, that none other power can operate against them, and this because of their exceeding faith and their patience in their tribulations, and I will come unto you. And if there be any among you that has a desire for freedom, yea, if there be even a spark of freedom remaining. Behold, I will stir up insurrections among you, even until those who have desires to usurp power and authority shall become extinct. Yea, behold, I do not fear your power nor your authority, but it is my God whom I fear. And it is according to his commandments that I do take my sword to defend the cause of my country. And it is because of your iniquity that we have suffered so much loss. Just to make certain there is no misunderstanding concerning Moroni's total commitment to carry out this threat, he repeats it in very explicit terms. He says, Behold, it is time, yea, the time is now at hand, that except ye do bestir yourselves in the defense of your country and your little ones, the sword of justice doth hang over you, yea, and it shall fall upon you and visit you even to your utter destruction. Behold, I wait for assistance from you. And except ye do administer unto our relief, behold, I come unto you even in the land of Zarahemla and smite you with the sword, insomuch that ye can have no more power to impede the progress of this people in the cause of our freedom. For behold, the Lord will not suffer that ye shall live and wax strong in your iniquities to destroy his righteous people. Moroni says that when the Lamanites come up before God's judgment of justice, they can blame their evil deeds on the traditions of their fathers. But the Nephites have no such excuse. Their blame lies in their love of glory and the vain things of the world. Behold, can you suppose that the Lord will spare you and come out in judgment against the Lamanites when it is the tradition of their fathers that has caused their hatred? Yea, and it has been redoubled by those who have dissented from us, while your iniquity is for the cause of your love of glory and the vain things of the world. Ye know that ye do transgress the laws of God, and ye do know that ye do trample them under your feet. Behold, the Lord saith unto me, If those whom ye have appointed your governors do not repent of their sins and iniquities, ye shall go up to battle against them. 
Now Moroni repeats his threat against these wicked rulers for the third time. He says he will gain provisions and support for his warriors in the field, even if it has to be by the sword. And now behold, I, Moroni, am constrained according to the covenant which I have made to keep the commandments of my God. Therefore I would that ye should adhere to the word of God, and send speedily unto me of your provisions, and of your men, and also to Helaman. And behold, if ye will not do this, I come unto you speedily. For behold, God will not suffer that we should perish with hunger. Therefore he will give unto us of your food, even if it must be by the sword. Now see that ye fulfill the word of God. Behold, I am Moroni, your chief captain. I seek not for power, but to pull it down. I seek not for honor of the world, but for the glory of my God, and the freedom and welfare of my country. And thus I close mine epistle. Moroni closes by reminding them that he is the commander-in-chief, but he seeks not for power, but to pull it down. His aspiration is for the glory of God and the freedom and welfare of the country. Alma chapter 61. No doubt Moroni's epistle to Pehoran was a terrible shock to the chief judge, but his reply to Moroni was just as shocking. Behold, now it came to pass that soon after Moroni had sent his epistle unto the chief governor, he received an epistle from Pehoran, the chief governor, and these are the words which he received. I, Pehoran, who am the chief governor of this land, to send these words unto Moroni, the chief captain over the army. Behold, I say unto you, Moroni, that I do not joy in your great afflictions, yea, it grieves my soul. But behold, there are those who do joy in your afflictions, yea, insomuch that they have risen up in rebellion against me, and also those of my people who are freemen. Yea, and those who have risen up are exceeding numerous. And it is those who have sought to take away the judgment seat from me that have been the cause of this great iniquity. For they have used great flattery, and they have led away the hearts of many people, which will be the cause of sore affliction among us. They have withheld our provisions, and have daunted our free men that they have not come unto you. And behold, they have driven me out before them. And I have fled to the land of Gideon, with as many men as it were possible that I could get. These five verses are fantastic. There has been a great revolution at Zarahemla. Pehoran has been forced to leave his position as chief judge and has fled to the land of Gideon, which is east across the river Sidon. Verse 3 says the rebellion is not only against Pehoran, but against any of the people who were freemen. In other words, the kingmen have seized control of the seat of government. Pehoran says he has fled over to Gideon with as many patriots as he could get to follow him. One can only imagine Moroni's tidal wave of compassion for Pehoran as he read this letter. And behold, I have sent a proclamation throughout this part of the land. And behold, they are flocking to us daily to their arms in the defense of their country and their freedom, and to avenge our wrongs. And they have come unto us, insomuch that those who have risen up in rebellion against us are set at defiance. Yea, 
insomuch that they do fear us, and durst not come out against us to battle. Pehorin says he is trying to mobilize a body of patriots and has sent a proclamation throughout the region, and many freemen are flocking to Gideon to help restore order and reinstate the chief judge as the supreme executive over the country. But meanwhile the Cayman who occupied Zarahemla had apparently made an alliance with the Lamanites, and Amaron had been promised that he would be made king of all the land once the Lamanites had helped the kingmen conquer the Nephites. They have got possession of the land or the city of Zarahemla. They have appointed a king over them, and he hath written unto the king of the Lamanites, in the which he hath joined an alliance with him in the which alliance he hath agreed to maintain the city of Zarahemla, which maintenance he supposeth will enable the Lamanites to conquer the remainder of the land. And he shall be placed king over this people, when they shall be conquered under the Lamanites. But how did Pehoran react to all of those harsh things Moroni had written to him in his epistle? Pehoran's reaction was just what you would expect from a true servant of God. And now in your epistle you have censured me, but it mattereth not. I am not angry, but do rejoice in the greatness of your heart. I, Pehoran, do not seek for power, save only to retain my judgment seat, that I may preserve the rights and the liberty of my people. My soul standeth fast in that liberty in the which God hath made us free. And now behold, we will resist wickedness even unto bloodshed. We would not shed the blood of the Lamanites if they would stay in their own land. We would not shed the blood of our brethren if they would not rise up in rebellion and take the sword against us. We would subject ourselves to the yoke of bondage if it were requisite with the justice of God, or if he should command us so to do. But behold, he doth not command us that we shall subject ourselves to our enemies but that we should put our trust in him, and he will deliver us. Pehoran's response to this letter was to call Moroni his beloved brother. Then he says they should resist evil together with their swords. Therefore, my beloved brother Moroni, let us resist evil, and whatsoever evil we cannot resist with our words, yea, such as rebellions and dissensions, let us resist them with our swords, that we may retain our freedom that we may rejoice in the great privilege of our church and in the cause of our Redeemer and our God. Pehoran has a plan. He asks Moroni to come speedily to Pehoran with a few of his men. He suggested that Moroni leave the remainder with Lehi and Tiankum so they could continue fighting for freedom in that sector of the land. Pehoran promised to send them whatever provisions he could gather together, and he also promised to send them more after they had regained the judgment seat. Therefore come unto me speedily with a few of your men, and leave the remainder in the charge of Lehi and Tiancum. Give unto them power to conduct the war in that part of the land, according to the Spirit of God, which is also the Spirit of freedom which is in them. Behold, I have sent a few provisions unto them that they may not perish until ye can come unto me. Pehorn urges Moroni to gather up as many patriots as he can on the way to Gideon, 
and Pehorn believes their first target should be the recapture of Zarahemla and the complete subjugation of the wicked kingmen. Gather together whatsoever force ye can upon your march hither, and we will go speedily against those dissenters, in the strength of our God, according to the faith which is in us. And we will take possession of the city of Zarahemla, that we may obtain more food to send forth unto Lehi and Teancum. Yea, we will go forth against them in the strength of the Lord, and we will put an end to this great iniquity. Now Pehoran's epistle comes to an amazing conclusion. The greatness of the soul of Pehoran is reflected in these last three verses. Now, Moroni, I do joy in receiving your epistle, for I was somewhat worried concerning what we should do, whether it should be just in us to go against our brethren. But ye have said, Except they repent, the Lord hath commanded you that ye should go against them. See that ye strengthen Lehi and Teancum in the Lord. Tell them to fear not, for God will deliver them, yea, and also all those who stand fast in that liberty wherewith God hath made them free. And now I close mine epistle to my beloved brother Moroni. Alma chapter 62 And now we come to the grand finale of all these great conflicts which we have covered from chapters 43 to 62 in the book of Alma. In chapter 62, we find Moroni amazed to learn that the central government has been overthrown, but his feelings toward Pehoran melted into a chalice of compassion and love as he contemplated what the chief judge had been compelled to endure. Here is how this chapter describes it. And now it came to pass that when Moroni had received this epistle, his heart did take courage and was filled with exceeding great joy because of the faithfulness of Pehoran, that he was not also a traitor to the freedom and cause of his country. But he did also mourn exceedingly because of the iniquity of those who had driven Pehoran from the judgment seat, yea, in fine, because of those who had rebelled against their country and also their God. Moroni responded immediately to the suggestions of Pehoran. Here were two great spirits now completely united in the task that lay before them. And it came to pass that Moroni took a small number of men according to the desire of Pehoran, and gave Lehi and Teancum command over the remainder of his army, and took his march towards the land of Gideon, and he did raise the standard of liberty in whatsoever place he did enter, and gained whatsoever force he could in all his march towards the land of Gideon. It is rather amazing how the people responded to Moroni as he moved through the land toward Gideon. And it came to pass that thousands did flock unto his standard, and did take up their swords in the defense of their freedom, that they might not come into bondage. And thus, when Moroni had gathered together whatsoever men he could in all his march, he came to the land of Gideon. And uniting his forces with those of Pehoran, they became exceeding strong, even stronger than the men of Pecus, who was the king of those dissenters who had driven the free men out of the land of Zarahemla and had taken possession of the land. There is something thrilling about an account in which the good prevail over the ugly forces of evil. 
Here is what happened. And it came to pass that Moroni and Pehoran went down with their armies into the land of Zarahemla, and went forth against the city, and did meet the men of Pecos, insomuch that they did come to battle. And behold, Pecos was slain, and his men were taken prisoners, and Pehoran was restored to his judgment seat. There was nothing sentimental or faint-hearted about Moroni, Pehoran, and Helaman, the president of the church, when it came to enforcing the law against traitors and murder-minded rebels who had conspired to overthrow the government and set up a king. And the men of Pecos received their trial according to the law, and also those kingmen who had been taken and cast into prison. And they were executed according to the law. Yea, those men of Pecos and those kingmen, whosoever would not take up arms in the defense of their country, but would fight against it, were put to death. And thus it became expedient that this law should be strictly observed for the safety of their country. Yea, and whosoever was found denying their freedom was speedily executed according to the law. This brings us to the end of 62 B.C., which tells us that the events of chapters 59 to 62 had occupied a whole year. When a land has been infested by an enemy, the cleansing process requires courage as well as strong determination. In this verse, it says that Moroni and Pehoran had inflicted death upon all those who were not true to the cause of freedom. And thus ended the thirtieth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Moroni and Pehoran, having restored peace to the land of Zarahemla among their own people, having inflicted death upon all those who were not true to the cause of freedom. When the people saw how determined Moroni and Pehoran were to not only cleanse the land of traitors, but recruit large armies to liberate all the captive cities, it is evident that they were supported by volunteers who came forth by the thousands. And it came to pass in the commencement of the thirty and first year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Moroni immediately caused that provisions should be sent, and also an army of six thousand men should be sent unto Helaman, to assist him in preserving that part of the land. And he also caused that an army of six thousand men, with a sufficient quantity of food, should be sent to the armies of Lehi and Teancum. And it came to pass that this was done to fortify the land against the Lamanites. And it came to pass that Moroni and Pehoran, leaving a large body of men in the land of Zarahemla, took their march with a large body of men towards the land of Nephihah, being determined to overthrow the Lamanites in that city. When large companies of Lamanites were encountered as they marched across the country, they captured them and offered them the Moroni alternative, take the covenant for peace and freedom or die. And it came to pass that as they were marching towards the land, they took a large body of men of the Lamanites, and slew many of them, and took their provisions and their weapons of war. And it came to pass, after they had taken them, they caused them to enter into a covenant, that they would no more take up their weapons of war against the Nephites. And when they had entered into this covenant, they sent them to dwell with the people of Ammon, and they were in number about four thousand who had not been slain. 
In verse 17, it says that all those who took the covenant were marched over to join the people of Ammon, and the number was about 4,000. The next target city to be liberated was Nephiha, which was a mighty stronghold of the Lamanites. And it came to pass that when they had sent them away, they pursued their march towards the land of Nephiha. And it came to pass that when they had come to the city of Nephiha, they did pitch their tents in the plains of Nephiha, which is near the city of Nephiha. Now Moroni was desirous that the Lamanites should come out to battle against them upon the plains. But the Lamanites, knowing of their exceeding great courage, and beholding the greatness of their numbers, therefore they durst not come out against them, therefore they did not come to battle in that day. And when the night came, Moroni went forth in the darkness of the night, and came upon the top of the wall to spy out in what part of the city the Lamanites did camp with their army. The Nephite army was certainly no place for cowards or men with timid hearts. And it came to pass that they were on the east by the entrance, and they were all asleep. And now Moroni returned to his army, and caused that they should prepare in haste strong cords and ladders to be let down from the top of the wall into the inner part of the wall. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that his men should march forth and come upon the top of the wall and let themselves down into that part of the city, yea, even on the west where the Lamanites did not camp with their armies. And it came to pass that they were all let down into the city by night, by the means of their strong cords and their ladders. Thus, when the morning came, they were all within the walls of the city. When the Lamanites awakened to find their city occupied by a host of Nephites, they could have saved their lives by simply surrendering. But in a state of complete panic, they tried to escape from the city. This resulted in many Lamanites being killed. But the Nephites finally found themselves in complete possession of Nephiha without losing the life of a single Nephite. And now, when the Lamanites awoke and saw that the armies of Moroni were within the walls, they were affrighted exceedingly, insomuch that they did flee out by the pass. And now, when Moroni saw that they were fleeing before him, he did cause that his men should march forth against them and slew many, and surrounded many others and took them prisoners. And the remainder of them fled into the land of Moroni, which was in the borders by the seashore. Thus had Moroni and Pehoran obtained the possession of the city of Nephiha without the loss of one soul, and there were many of the Lamanites who were slain. It was well known among the Lamanites that they could save their lives by surrendering and asking to be allowed to join the people of Ammon, who were all Lamanite converts. For these Lamanite prisoners who followed this course to save their lives, there was a complete change of lifestyle. Now it came to pass that many of the Lamanites that were prisoners were desirous to join the people of Ammon and become a free people. And it came to pass that as many as were desirous, unto them it was granted according to their desires. Therefore all the prisoners of the Lamanites did join the people of Ammon and did begin to labor exceedingly tilling the ground, raising all manner of grain, and flocks and herds of every kind. And thus were the Nephites relieved from a great burden, yea, insomuch that they were relieved from all the prisoners of the Lamanites. 
Moroni's ambition was to now cleanse the Lamanites out of the cities along the eastern seashore. These were the cities that were captured by the Lamanites during the time the kingmen among the Nephites were trying to seize power. Moroni never forgave them for their treachery. It was during the internal struggle between the freemen and the kingmen that the Lamanites captured at least six major cities along the sea east. Moroni's strategy was to pound the Lamanites on the south, while Lehi and Teancum pressured them from the north. This resulted in the Lamanites being gradually concentrated in the land of Moroni, with Amaron, the apostate Nephite king, at their head. Now it came to pass that Moroni, after he had obtained possession of the city of Nephihah, having taken many prisoners, which did reduce the armies of the Lamanites exceedingly, and having regained many of the Nephites who had been taken prisoners, which did strengthen the army of Moroni exceedingly, therefore Moroni went forth from the land of Nephihah to the land of Lehi. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that Moroni was coming against them, they were again frightened and fled before the army of Moroni. And it came to pass that Moroni and his army did pursue them from city to city, until they were met by Lehi and Teancum. And the Lamanites fled from Lehi and Teancum, even down upon the borders by the seashore, until they came to the land of Moroni. And the armies of the Lamanites were all gathered together, insomuch that they were all in one body in the land of Moroni. Now Amaron, the king of the Lamanites, was also with them. And it came to pass that Moroni and Lehi and Teancum did encamp with their armies round about in the borders of the land of Moroni, insomuch that the Lamanites were encircled about in the borders by the wilderness on the south and in the borders by the wilderness on the east. The exhausted Lamanites camped for the night, and so did the Nephites. Only one Nephite remained awake. He had a plan that would change the whole course of the war. And thus they did encamp for the night. For behold, the Nephites and the Lamanites also were weary because of the greatness of the march. Therefore they did not resolve upon any stratagem in the night time, save it were Teancum, for he was exceedingly angry with Amoron, insomuch that he considered that Amoron and Amalickiah his brother had been the cause of this great and lasting war between them and the Lamanites, which had been the cause of so much war and bloodshed, yea, and so much famine. And it came to pass that Teancum, in his anger, did go forth into the camp of the Lamanites, and did let himself down over the walls of the city. And he went forth with a cord, from place to place, insomuch that he did find the king. And he did cast a javelin at him, which did pierce him near the heart. But behold, the king did awake his servant before he died, insomuch that they did pursue Teancum and slew him. The death of the wicked king Amaron was a great triumph, but the death of the heroic Teancum was a supreme tragedy. Now it came to pass that when Lehi and Moroni knew that Teancum was dead, they were exceeding sorrowful. For behold, he had been a man who had fought valiantly for his country, yea, a true friend to liberty, and he had suffered very many exceedingly sore afflictions. But behold, he was dead, 
and had gone the way of all the earth. One can well imagine the feelings of Moroni as he led the Nephite armies into battle the following day. The anger of the Nephites in avenging the life of Teancum was so fierce that the Lamanites scrambled into the south wilderness and headed for their own land. This horrible war was finally over. It was now 60 B.C. Now it came to pass that Moroni marched forth on the morrow and came upon the Lamanites, insomuch that they did slay them with a great slaughter, and they did drive them out of the land, and they did flee, even that they did not return at that time against the Nephites. And thus ended the thirty and first year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus they had had wars and bloodsheds and famine and affliction for the space of many years. And there had been murders and contentions and dissensions and all manner of iniquity among the people of Nephi. Nevertheless, for the righteous' sake, yea, because of the prayers of the righteous, they were spared. However, this war had left permanent scars on the Nephite people. Nevertheless, the hardships of the war had caused many to humble themselves, and for the sake of the righteous, the Nephite leaders labored mightily to restore peace in the land. But behold, because of the exceeding great length of the war between the Nephites and the Lamanites, many had become hardened because of the exceeding great length of the war, and many were softened because of their afflictions, insomuch that they did humble themselves before God, even in the depth of humility. And it came to pass that after Moroni had fortified those parts of the land which were most exposed to the Lamanites, until they were sufficiently strong, he returned to the city of Zarahemla. And also Helaman returned to the place of his inheritance, and there was once more peace established among the people of Nephi. Some remarkable changes now took place among the Nephites as the leaders and the people tried to finally adjust themselves to this hard-won period of peace. One highly significant event occurred at this time when Moroni turned over his military command to his son Moronihah. And Moroni yielded up the command of his armies into the hands of his son, whose name was Moronihah and he retired to his own house, that he might spend the remainder of his days in peace. And Pehoran did return to his judgment seat, and Helaman did take upon him again to preach unto the people the word of God. For because of so many wars and contentions, it had become expedient that a regulation should be made again in the church. Therefore Helaman and his brethren went forth, and did declare the word of God with much power unto the convincing of many people of their wickedness, which did cause them to repent of their sins, and to be baptized unto the Lord their God. And it came to pass that they did establish again the church of God throughout all the land. The Nephites were always quick to make an astonishing recovery once peace was restored, and they were allowed to engage in their normal industries which brought prosperity and trade throughout the land. Yea, and regulations were made concerning the law, and their judges and their chief judges were chosen. And the people of Nephi began to prosper again in the land, 
and began to multiply and to wax exceeding strong again in the land. And they began to grow exceeding rich, but notwithstanding their riches or their strength or their prosperity, they were not lifted up in the pride of their eyes. Neither were they slow to remember the Lord their God, but they did humble themselves exceedingly before him. Yea, they did remember how great things the Lord had done for them, that he had delivered them from death and from bonds and from prisons and from all manner of afflictions, and he had delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. And they did pray unto the Lord their God continually, insomuch that the Lord did bless them according to his word, so that they did wax strong and prosper in the land. Among the major changes after peace was restored turned out to be the death of the mighty Helaman, who had served so faithfully as a great soldier and president of the church. His passing occurred in 57 B.C., just three years after the war had ended. And it came to pass that all these things were done. And Helaman died in the thirty and fifth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Alma chapter 63. We have now reached the 36th year of the judges, or 56 B.C. When Helaman died the year before, the sacred records and Nephite memorabilia were turned over to Shiblon. And it came to pass in the commencement of the thirty and sixth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Shiblon took possession of those sacred things which had been delivered unto Helaman by Alma. And he was a just man, and he did walk uprightly before God. And he did observe to do good continually, to keep the commandments of the Lord his God. And also did his brother. Notice that in this verse it pays tribute to Shiblon and, quote, also his brother, unquote. This would be referring to Corianton who as a young man had abandoned his mission to the Zoramites and run off with the harlot Isabel. Alma had extended himself to help Corianton realize the seriousness of his sins, and apparently he did help him find his way back into the gospel pattern so he could work valiantly with Shiblon after Alma was gone. And it came to pass that Moroni died also. And thus ended the thirty and sixth year of the reign of the judges. It was the same year, 56 B.C., that the famous warrior Moroni passed away. It will be recalled in Alma 62, verse 43, that we learned how Moroni had previously turned over his military command to his son, Moronihah. In 55 B.C., two important things happened. First of all, a large migration of 5,400 men together with their wives and children went up into the land northward beyond the narrow neck of land. If we count all the members of the families of these people, they probably numbered between 12 and 15,000 Nephites. The second great event was the construction of a very large ship which was launched into the West Sea. It says that this ship began its course northward and later returned for another load. In fact, a considerable number of ships were built, but some of them were never heard from again. 
Some of these lost ships may have carried their occupants over to some of the Pacific islands. And it came to pass that in the thirty and seventh year of the reign of the judges, there was a large company of men, even to the amount of five thousand and four hundred men, with their wives and their children, departed out of the land of Zarahemla into the land which was northward. And it came to pass that Hagoth, he being an exceedingly curious man, therefore he went forth and built him an exceedingly large ship on the borders of the land bountiful by the land desolation, and launched it forth into the west sea by the narrow neck which led into the land northward. And behold, there were many of the Nephites who did enter therein, and did sail forth with much provisions, and also many women and children. And they took their course northward. And thus ended the thirty and seventh year. And in the thirty and eighth year this man built other ships. And the first ship did also return, and many more people did enter into it, and they also took much provisions and set out again to the land northward. And it came to pass that they were never heard of more. And we suppose that they were drowned in the depths of the sea. And it came to pass that one other ship also did sail forth. And whither she did go, we know not. In 53 B.C. Shiblon died, and before his passing, he turned over to Helaman's son, who was also named Helaman, the plates and artifacts of the sacred Nephite treasury. And it came to pass that in this year there were many people who went forth into the land northward, and thus ended the thirty and eighth year. And it came to pass in the thirty and ninth year of the reign of the judges, Shiblon died also. And Corianton had gone forth to the land northward in a ship to carry forth provisions unto the people who had gone forth into that land. Therefore it became expedient for Shiblon to confer those sacred things before his death upon the son of Helaman, who was called Helaman, being called after the name of his father. We now learn that the engravings on the plates were copied and distributed among the people. However, none of the sealed portions were copied or distributed. Now behold, all those engravings which were in the possession of Helaman were written and sent forth among the children of men throughout all the land, save it were those parts which had been commanded by Alma should not go forth. Nevertheless, these things were to be kept sacred and handed down from one generation to another. Therefore in this year they had been conferred upon Helaman before the death of Shiblon, in this verse we learn that a segment of the Nephites with a traitorous spirit defected and went over to the Lamanites to stir them up and urge them to attack the Nephites. That attack occurred but was a complete failure. Moraniah was ready for them and drove the Lamanite forces back into their own land. And it came to pass also in this year that there were some dissenters who had gone forth unto the Lamanites and they were stirred up again to anger against the Nephites. And also in the same year they came down with a numerous army to war against the people of Moronihah, or against the army of Moronihah, in the which they were beaten and driven back again to their own lands, suffering great loss. And thus ended the thirty and ninth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus ended the account of Alma, and Helaman his son, 
and also Shiblon, who was his son. Thus we come to the end of the book of Alma, which also contained the writings of Helaman and Shiblon, Alma's two sons. At this point in our study, we have completed two-thirds of the Book of Mormon. This next volume is the grand finale. The early part of the third volume helps us understand the shattering impact of the Gadianton robbers as this murderous secret combination spreads its power over a people. Later on, we learn that this murder cult annihilated the entire Jaredite civilization in a single generation. It also rose to power among the Nephites in 300 A.D., and by 385 A.D., it had wiped out the Nephite people as a nation. By way of contrast, it is in this third volume that we cover the thrilling ministry of the resurrected Christ in America. We discover that during the Savior's visit to the Nephites, he explained many gospel principles which cannot be found in any other scripture. Jesus also referred to the restoration of the gospel in our day and how it will spread across the entire earth. There are also many prophecies concerning the upsurge of wickedness and secret combinations which Satan will mobilize against the saints in the latter days. In the book of 3 Nephi, Jesus describes how the wicked Gentiles will so corrupt the land that a complete cleansing will eventually take place. Then the new Jerusalem will be built and America will be prepared for the second coming. We know that you will find the third volume of the study of the Book of Mormon informative and inspiring. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lectures recorded while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.